The content and discussion today will obviously and necessarily engage with the issue of child sexual abuse. I recognise that some listeners may be affected by this and some may find the content emotionally challenging. There is a range of information and resources on their website's help and support page. So you can go to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse at iicsa.org.uk and search help. So I am back for episode two and I am speaking to Saba Kaiser and in the first episode we introduced you the listener to the story of Saba who was sexually abused from a very young age as an Asian um, minority uh, to child sexual abuse. She's been on many journeys to wellness but her journey continues as she embarks on her journey now with intention So here she speaks in the second episode of coping mechanisms that have helped her to get to where she is today, with courage and faith in who she is. I call her a powerful warrior who has come through so much to arrive here today. So welcome back, Saba. Yes, thank you. Hi, Lynn. And again, just to highlight that you are the ethnic minority ambassador to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, a position that takes you around the country to speak at events and conferences that you also co-organize. So as an ambassador, your role is to ensure the voices of ethnic minority survivors are heard and that the inquiry reflects this country's diverse culture. And we are talking about the UK. Saba is of Pakistani origin, born and raised in Bristol, UK. And from the age of seven, she was subject to repeated and systemic sexual abuse. She was let down by the police and social services until she managed to get out at 15 years old when she was made a ward of court. Throughout her traumatic formative years, Saba consistently kept a journal, which she now uses to relive her experience and inform her writing as she retells her story. This is Saba's first delve into composing a full-length book with the intention of publication. So I encourage listeners, if they didn't listen to the first episode, to listen to the first episode um, because we're talking about coping mechanisms and how for Saba the coping mechanisms helped her to get through a very dangerous and horrific time in her life. And as mentioned in the first episode, we have to bring in the imaginary world that children live in and children do not understand when they are being hurt, the confusion and the the pain that they go through and unable to piece together what is happening. And this is the world that we live in and we want to emphasize this. And Saba is a great ambassador for women worldwide. She is of Pakistani origin, and I think it was very brave of her to step into the limelight to actually bring to the public attention the atrocities of child sexual abuse within the Asian community. And I want to emphasize that not all Asian communities adhere to this story. Um, And we want to emphasize that we're not singling out 
people from Asian backgrounds as being sexual abusers um, in the majority. You know, sexual abuse happens. It doesn't matter what race or culture you come from. But I think it's important to understand that a voice from a particular group where it's not seen as being acceptable that you step out and you talk about what is happening within the house that children, people are brought up in. It's a, it's a cultural thing. So Saba, again, welcome. And just before we go into the second coping, me- coping mechanism that you want to talk about and that you want to bring, would you agree with that in terms of what I've just mentioned as far as stepping outside of the boundaries of the home, the family, and talking about anything that would bring shame on the family and the community. Absolutely, Lynn. As a child, the barriers that I faced uh, within my own predicament were barriers of silence and of shame. Um, You have also quite rightly pointed out that Sexual abuse of children doesn't belong to any one community or any one um, uh, gender. The the sexual abuse of children has no colour, it has no religion and it has no culture. Sexual abuse of children does not discriminate. And it's so important, therefore, that our response, our our, uh, efforts to combat this, it should be a singular societal response. Um, My role uh, as an ethnic minority ambassador to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse focuses on capturing, capturing the audience, capturing our society's attention, having these open and honest debates, um, influencing uh, the need for change and then indeed affecting change. Thank you. And you've put that quite accurately towards the end there, that this is about effecting change in all communities. But we have to really look at this as your experience. And I know for a fact um, that when we talk about different communities, child sexual abuse is no longer something that grown adults, and we're talking men and women, should be ashamed of what happened to them, happened to them, irregardless of race, colour, creed, something like that, that happened to a human being and really tried to strip the spirit of that human being, because that's what it's about. Some people have not survived and you're, you were a victim but you've become a survivor and you've become an ambassador to speak up about child sexual abuse. So with that, we're going to go into your second coping mechanism, into the wonderful world of imagination that you went into that helped you to detach from the physical pain that you were experiencing as that darling little child. So I'll hand this over to you, Sabra. Thank you, Lynn. So, uh, yes, um, it's the second uh, episode and uh, I will now read um, something that I have written with regards to uh, coping mechanism two. Uh, Just before I read this, um, I would just like to explain. So this coping coping mechanism I've entitled Seraphic Transcendence. And to me, what that meant was while my body was in one place, 
And while whatever that was happening to my body in that place, I had developed a way in which my mind could leave and roam free. And, and that was crucial to me because when, when the abuse was happening, which I completely did not understand and utterly confused me um, and scared me, I, I wasn't a part of it. Uh, they had my body, but they didn't have my mind. And that I, I protected and guarded with all my might. So, second coping mechanism. In the morning, I rise and I cannot open my eyes. It is, it is as if my eyelids have been gaping open all night and are now exceedingly worn out. I am wearing a brown nightgown with garish orange flowers springing in every direction as if trying to escape. My mum had specially sewn this full-length nightdress for me. It goes all the way down to my feet. I cannot close my mouth nor take a stride without feeling sore and rigid, and something is seeping down my leg. I wonder if perhaps I'm weeing myself and then become frightened of getting into trouble. The chirping of birds had woken me early before the rest of the house had begun to stir. The birds must have been warning me to go to the bathroom before anyone else wakes. Blindly, I waddle down the stairs like a penguin, holding on to the banister that I used to slide down in more carefree times. I love this banister. It plays with me when I want to play, it guides me when I cannot see, and it supports me when I'm in pain and cannot walk. I love my banister. Little by little, clinging onto the wooden hold and gently feeling my steps, I tread downstairs to the bathroom, run a bath and with my nightdress still on and get into the bath. When I eventually overpower my eyelids and command them to open, I see that I am lying in my own blood. The first time I bled was some time ago and I stained the bed sheets. The birds did not wake me then. Frahana Kerakhan, my older stepsister, found me and told me to keep it a secret, saying that our mum would thrash me for weeing in the bed. I asked her why my wee was red today. She told me, sometimes it can be yellow, sometimes blue, sometimes green, and sometimes red. Red became my favourite colour. I believed I had special powers, like Superman, I am different to everyone else. I never wee blue or green and everybody wees yellow. Red is still my favorite color. As I lie there in the bath filled with emptiness, I venture deep down into my soul. I know that I do not have special powers, but that something is wrong with me. I feel like the most wretched person in my house. I can no longer pretend that I cannot see that I am being hurt but still I have no name for it. I do not know what is wrong with me. I search everywhere, but I cannot find it in my soul. And I start howling in pain. It is at that moment that I sense something happened to me. My soul begins to ascend, lifting away from my lifeless body, while my awful carcass bathes in this impure bath. My spirit goes looking for my mother, 
She is sound asleep in her bedroom where my spirit enters. My boundless soul positions itself by my mother's side and from the break of dawn until the house wakes, it holds on to her. The birds begin to tweet once more, this time warning me to return to my body. I rise from beside my sleeping mother and make my way back to the bathroom and drift back into my flesh. Unified, I lie still for a few seconds ahead of hoisting myself out of the bath and I set in motion my framework to cope. I have found a way to leave my body and go undetected anywhere on earth I wish to. I beg Allah that he will allow me to keep this seraphic transcendence and I can leave my body and fly out of the window for the last time. Wow. Um, seraphic, seraphic transcendence. Sir, is that one of the angels? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, transcendence. So when you talk there about, um, you came to a realization that something was wrong your body was showing you was telling you that something was wrong but when your stepsister told you and she gave you the story of um to help you to kind of come away from the truth you went back to your imaginary world you reconnected with that because you didn't you you trusted her what she was telling you was the truth Absolutely. Uh, my older stepsister was married to my main abuser. I was actually abused by four members of my family, four uncles. And this one particular older uh, stepsister was married to the main one. Um, she would she would be in the bed when her husband would be raping me. Um, and that particular morning, uh, when there were when there was blood on on the sheets that I had spoken about, um, her response to me was to to she responded to me as i was a child but even as that child i knew that something isn't right i knew that yes i tried to explain it to myself i'm superman i we read you know red is superman's colors i must have special powers but in the back of my mind i knew that something was was wrong and and I couldn't help thinking and believing that something was actually wrong with me. Sava, I want to take you back into that image and I'm sure some of our listeners or people that are listening to this, they have that image of a grown woman, a grown man, laying with a child and that child is being abused by someone that she trusted. Now, I'm looking at it from a woman's perspective, and I know with 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 sexual abuse at that time. How old was she, your stepsister? I I couldn't say. I, mean, um, I believe 20s? she's probably. I'm one of eighteen children, so I don't really know all their ages. Uh, this one in particular, I believe she's probably about nine, ten, maybe even eleven years older than me. Okay, so she, so you would say that she was probably early 20s, yeah. early 20s, and I'm just thinking it, how our development, how, where fear is, was she sexually abused as well, do you think? I, I couldn't comment 
uh, I, I don't know. Because hmm. I'm just wondering, you know, with um, for her to try to escape the reality of what was happening, even though it wasn't right, she didn't protect you, but there must have been a huge amount of fear that she was living through to allow this to happen. And I just wonder as a woman, you know, without judging anyone, there's no judgment here, but for you as that child, you should have been protected by this woman that possibly could have, what what was it, what would you have had to have sacrificed to have saved you? In the Asian culture, uh, respect is, uh, is paramount to the survival of, of a family unit, uh, survival of that community. And there is the added uh, uh, dimension to that concept of respect when you are, in fact, a diaspora community. Um, what she what could she have lost? Um, I should imagine her marriage, uh, her, her standing in the family. I don't really know, but I, I will say this, that whilst I do uh, exercise uh, compassion, generosity of heart, as much as I can uh, and where I can, I'm afraid I don't have much for her. Uh, I she I trusted her with all my life. She was my... As a child, uh, she was she was akin to my mother. Uh, we were extremely close. Um, I cannot, as a mother myself now, as an older sister, I cannot. Uh, I cannot um, excuse. You can't excuse her actions. You can't. You can't excuse. I can't. Her. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I mean, the years that I suffered and the, the abuse had grown from one uncle to four, um, that could have been stopped time and time again. When I eventually uh, did disclose, um, I was abandoned by my family. She could have stood up for me and said, actually, it's true. She didn't. Um, she just watched from the sidelines uh, throughout, you know, I'm in my 40s now. Um, no, uh, I, I, I cannot give her too much of my generosity of heart. And I don't think that you should, because they say you can't forgive others until you forgive yourself. So there's, there's always that underlying, um, even if it's not conscious, that underlying belief that you have to work through. I think through throughout your life as a survivor of sexual abuse and I completely understand that that you have to forgive yourself for believing that you were responsible for this as a child you were and I think it's also really important to state here that um, you know as an individual um, as, a, as a survivor I can only ever talk about my own experience of child sexual abuse um, and cannot really conjecture on anyone else's uh, experience or um, whether they were or they weren't abused or how they felt or thought um, it you know I, 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 I can I, 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 I know about myself and that's what I bring to, to your audience to your listeners. Mm. 
And thank you for that. And I no way, in no way want to kind of divert the attention to women that have been, um, that have collaborated with child sexual abusers. I'm just looking at it from, um, I know things that happened to me, people didn't know about it until I spoke about it later. But with you, it was happening and there was people that knew about it. There were women that knew about it. So I understand what you're saying and I completely agree that putting too much energy into someone that could have stopped this, where your life could have been so different at that, at that point, at that junction. So how are you feeling right now? Because this is a, a big, a big talk around child sexual abuse, your experience. And coming back to that second coping mechanism that you've just described, um, and I was drawn to the birds begin to tweet once more, this time warning me to return to my body. I rise from beside my sleeping mother and make my way back to the bathroom and drift back into my flesh, unified. I lie still for a few seconds ahead of hoisting myself out of the bath and I set in motion my framework to cope. I have found a way to leave my body and go undetected anywhere on earth I wish to. I beg Allah that he will allow me to keep this seraphic transcendence and I can have, I can leave my body and fly out of the window for the last time. I mean, when you, when you wrote that, just that little piece there, after writing about the horror before that, leaving your mother's bed, what feelings did you have towards your mum when you would creep into her bed, you know, for comfort? So remember what I'm talking about there is, is my mind creeping into my mother's bed. So my body is still in that bath and it's traumatized. It doesn't understand I don't understand what I am seeing, what my eyes are, are, are showing me. So whilst I'm still lying in that bath, um, I, I try to save my own mind, uh, take it away from what it can see. And in my mind, I walk to my mother's room. In my mind, I see her sleeping there and, and I lay down next to her and I cuddle her. Um, my mother, um, it's been a very difficult journey, this journey to wellness and the aspect uh, you know, of relationships uh, with, with various family members. And, and of course, um, one of the most poignant and the most important one for a child, I believe, is the relationship with your, with your mother. Um, I, I never had the words to explain to my mum exactly what was happening to me. I didn't have the language. And so there was this barrier, that, this wall that existed be between my mother and I, and I was never uh, given the tools or the know-how on how to climb that wall and, and you know, be on the, on the other side with my mum. So our relationship at that time when I wrote this, it, 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 was, it was channeling the, the love that I, unconditional love that I I have still for my mom and had then um, but later uh, in, in in my book I do talk about the the difficulty 
you know, uh, that my mother and I and I do show generosity of heart to my mother, and uh, and the difficulties she would have faced, the barriers she would have faced as a diasporic uh, Asian woman uh, in Britain who herself did not speak or read or write English, um, and how she attempted to cope with my disclosure. Mm. Um, my mother isn't with us anymore. Um, and she died before I could, I, I could share these thoughts with her. Uh, I wish I had that time to do that with her because I'm older now. I have the language. Mm-hmm. I have the, the 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 understanding of of what exactly happened to me. And now with, with what I know, I wish I could have uh, told my mum. And that's, that's, that's where we're going to end this episode. I wish I could have told my mum. And um, I, I resonate with that in a, in a big way. But for now, we're going, to, um, we're going to come back with episode three. And that is going to be, Saba, where you're going to be talking about your third coping mechanism that you developed. So thank you for this episode. And... Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you and see you in episode three, Lynn. Yes.